Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. This morning, as we talk about emotions, I want us to actually begin not in the book of Proverbs, but in the book of James. And you don't have to turn there, but I want to read just James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 for you. It says this, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth Death. I want you to think about the word desire for just a moment this morning. That word desire. Now, you may be thinking as it gets closer to lunchtime, I desire something for lunch. Or, or you may have not slept well last night, and as the evening gets closer, you may think, I desire a good night's sleep. But, but that's not how this scripture is actually using this word desire. One commentator explaining the, de- explaining the, the root word behind the word desire, is, he said this. He said that this word is emotion as emotion in overdrive, that this word desire is emotion in overdrive. You see, whenever our emotional state gets into a sinful state, it is a result of that desire at work within us. Now again, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to suppress our emotions. God has made us as emotional creatures, but just like everything else, our emotional status is damaged. We are damaged goods. Everything about us is damaged. Our emotions, our intellect, our, uh, all of our, our characters damaged. It's all damaged by the fall. And just like other things, our emotions can go from what we would see as very appropriate expressions of what is taking place in our spirits to sinful, uncontrolled reflections of our own desire. You may be frustrated by circumstances, and circumstance injustice may anger you, and those are appropriate expressions of how we're feeling. But sometimes those, those emotions go into under-controlled states of existence. When our anger is towards things that are really not worthy of our anger, or when our anger is lashed out in, uh, it be, it's a reflection of that desire at work within us. As we've seen, the book of Proverbs speaks to all sorts of practical matters that affect each and every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, Proverbs speaks to all of us. The, the wisdom of Proverbs touches every human life. But one of the great unifying features of the human race is the experience of emotion. You think about it, it's not something that's only for this group of people or that group of people. Emotions are a wonderful testimony to God's creative work and our common bond as a human being. If you don't believe me, go somewhere where you don't speak any bit of the language. Find someone who looks like they're big and bad and bigger than you and go smack them on the face and you will find that they share a common emotional expression. They are angry if you do that and you are experiencing fear. So that, that's, that's reality. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter what color your skin. It doesn't matter whether you have a double X or an XY chromosome. Emotions are shared across language and across socioeconomic gaps. Anger is anger, whether you're an aborigine in Australia or a Caucasian in Canada. Happiness is happiness, whether you've only got a dollar to your name or whether you swim in a vault of money like Scrooge McDuck. Happiness is experienced across, across the, whole, uh, the, whole of, the whole human experience there. 
And our, human, our, our emotions can range from, from happiness and cheer to anger and despair and, and everything in between. A lot of attempts have been made to, to try to quantify our emotions, to explain our emotions. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said that there were nine emotions, anger, friendship, fear, shame, kindness, pity, indignation, envy, and love. He said those were the emotions that we experienced. Charles Darwin, a hero of the Christian faith for sure, he expanded on Aristotle and said that there were 34 different emotions. Some of the latest research coming out of University of California at Berkeley, a bastion of conservative theological uh, principle, said that there's 27 different categories of emotion. According to Pixar, there are five. But thanks to the internet, somebody figured out that you can take those five and combine them with each other, and you can get 25 different emotional expressions. The internet knows everything, by the way. Regardless of how many emotions there are, God has built into our internal programming. The reality is this, if we're not careful, our emotions can become a sort of idol to be worshipped. We worship happiness or we worship for those, those positive emotional expressions. Or they can become sinful stumbling blocks leading us into sinful actions and choices. We do need to understand this, that we worship a God who is an emotional being. God does not exist in an emotionless state. All we have to do is look to Jesus, and Jesus gives us a perfect picture of emotional health. This sounds like a counseling session, right? How's your emotional health? Look to Jesus. It's perfect. He, he experienced even what we would call negative emotions, the Lord Jesus did. He experienced sorrow. In fact, Isaiah 53, 4 says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, he experienced anger. Just ask the money changers in the temple the day that he drove them out. And, and that, was, that was premeditated. That was, he, he had a plan. He made a whip. He, he carried out anger in, in, that, in, that, in that temple that day. He demonstrated emotions like compassion and tenderness. Luke chapter 10, verse 21 says that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus shows us these emotions. Again, Jesus is not some, some android walking around with no human expression of emotions. Jesus very much was an emotional being. You have to imagine that there were days with the disciples where a bunch of guys were hanging out and they were, they were cutting up and laughing with each other. I mean, you have to imagine that that was their experience. So we understand that as God is an emotional being, Jesus is the perfect picture of emotional health, that God doesn't want us to suppress our emotions. However, he does want us to bring our emotions under the submission and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem us. He came to redeem all parts of us. He redeems our intellect. He redeems our, our, our every aspect of our being, but he also comes to redeem our emotional state. With that understanding then, it would only make sense that the book of Proverbs would seek to apply divine wisdom to our emotional condition. So this morning, let's do that. Let's take the wisdom of Proverbs, let's apply it to our emotional state, and then let's trust the Lord to help us tame those desires that can be so detrimental. 
Now, obviously, there's a range of emotions, but I want us to consider a few that are prominently featured in the book of Proverbs. The first one is one that is perhaps the most commonly experienced, is that emotion of, of anger. Now, again, the New Testament encourages us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, that we should be angry and do not sin. Now, if you're like me, it may be just better off if you just don't get angry. Because that's a really fine line for us as human creatures to go from being angry and getting into the not sinning piece. Because it's real easy to cross from just being angry to being an angry sinner. Again, we hear stories far too many times of how anger is acted upon in our civilization. Somebody pulls a gun in an act of road rage anger. A verbal altercation turns into a violent confrontation. How many homes have been devastated by domestic violence due to the uncontrolled anger or one of both of the spouses? And we understand we rightly condemn those actions, but we also need to be careful that we do not allow our righteous indignation towards other people's violent outbursts to provide cover for our own manifestations of sinful anger. We can have righteous anger that, that turns into sinful anger. We can be angry at the right thing, and that anger can work in us and cause us to act out in such a way that we ourselves are involved in sinful anger. Consider this morning Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Obviously, those among us who are long-suffering, those of us who have a longer fuse, we need to take heart in knowing this. The Bible proclaims a great truth about you. You've got good sense. And I mean, you know, that's an encouraging word. If you're somebody who's got, you know, you're long-suffering, you're, you know, you don't get angry at bicycles on the road. You, you don't get angry at things that just, just day-to-day things. If you're long-suffering, the Bible says that you've got good sense. But I want us to look at the second part of what Proverbs 19.11 says. It is his glory to overlook an offense. What's he saying? Well, he's not saying that you turn a blind eye towards sin or ignore injustice. That's not what he's saying at all here. We shouldn't do that. But there are plenty times in our lives when it's very wise to just let things go. The little church I pastored when I was in seminary had this sweet little old lady. She's kind of the matriarch of the church, uh, you know, and, and she was just one of those wise people that if you had a problem, she was always an ear that was willing to listen, and you knew she was never going to go run her mouth and tell people what you told her. And so, so I really trusted her and enjoyed talking with her and, and, and gaining from her, from her wise experience. But one of the things that, that struck me about her is that nothing, I mean nothing, ever bothered her, nothing ever ruffled her feathers, pick your metaphor, it didn't happen. That, that she was a happy, well-rounded person, but, but nothing, she couldn't make her angry. It just wouldn't happen. I remember one day that I was irritated about something. Would you believe pastors can get irritated about things that happen in the church? I remember I was irritated about something that somebody said, and I was talking to her about it, and I was mad. And she said, preacher, you just need to let it roll off. I said, What? You just need to let it roll off. You see, what she was teaching me was her life motto. Her life motto was that. It's the spirit of Proverbs 19.11. It's 
Sometimes it's wise just let things roll off. Things that you don't have any control over. I've got no control over the Ironman Triathlon. You know that? I called them and pretended that I had control and said, y'all need to pick a new bicycle race course. And, you know, they didn't call me back. I've got no control over that. It does me absolutely no good to get angry about it. It does me no, I can't fix it, I can't change it. It does me no good to get angry about it. It just provides fodder for stand-up comedy on Sunday morning. But for, for Miss Tingle, that was her name, that was her life motto. You just got to let things roll off. It turns out that that's a really good way to deal with our anger. Let's be honest for a moment. Some of us are holding on to grudges and old hurts that we know deep down in our hearts, they don't matter anymore. They don't matter anymore. We've got our feelings hurt because somebody said something. Or somebody didn't do what we thought they should. And, and we think about it and it just gets our feathers ruffled. But listen to what the sovereign Lord says to you. If you want to have good sense and you want to have glory, guess what? Just let it go. Just let it go. The Bible says overlook that offense. Overlook that offense. Now, of course, Proverbs here is encouraging us that we need to keep a very short list of offenses, but it's also reminding us of a very important fact. Anger is a contagious emotion. Anger is a contagious emotion. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 29, 22 says this, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. If you don't know what strife is, understand that strife is a community problem. Strife is a community problem. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. If a man in a shipwreck were stranded on a deserted island and he were the only man there, no other survivors, no one else is around, he would experience a range of emotions, loneliness and fear and dread. I can't imagine the type of emotions that I would experience if I were in that situation. But there is one thing that he will not experience on that deserted island. You know what it is? He's not going to experience strife. He's not going to experience strife unless he's multiple personalities and he has strife with himself. And that just doesn't happen because strife happens in community. Strife happens with other people. And the Bible teaches us here that one given to anger causes much transgression. And it's not just talking about the angry person's transgression. He causes much transgression. Much transgression is related to the activities of his fellow strifers. You want to stir up strife and you are creating an environment where there is much transgression. Go to a church where there is strife. It's not just one person who's angry. There is strife. There is much transgression. It is a toxic, toxic thing. Anger, when it's expressed in community, always leads us to pick sides. Every time. And it doesn't usually end well. How does it end? It ends with damaged relationships, broken trust, split, and ineffective 
churches. What's the wise alternative? It's to check your temper. It's to check your temper. Now, there are those who will say, preacher, I've just got a short fuse. That's an interesting statement to make. I've just got a short fuse. Well, what you call a short fuse, what you're actually saying, let's translate that, is that you lack self-control. That's really what you're saying. And it just so happens that one of the hallmarks of the redeemed life of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus, is spelled out for us in the book of Galatians, that if you want to know what the hallmarks of Christian living looks like, it's spelled out in a short little list. And it begins with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and a bad temper. Nope. That last one's part of the list. And what's that last one say? Self-control. Self-control. Unchecked anger is just like the other sins of the mind that can cause so much trouble for us. We don't really excuse other things like this. Y'all just forgive me, I got a bad lust problem. That doesn't fly. Like if somebody came up to you and said that, you'd probably step away. Uh, it doesn't fly when somebody says, you know what, I'm just full of pride. Just selfish pride. It just bubbles up within me and I can't help it. You're not going to want to be friends with that person. You're not going to excuse it. So when somebody says, preacher, I just got a short fuse, well, you just lack self-control. You lack self-control. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, challenges us as Christians that we are to bring our very thoughts captive in obedience to Jesus. That includes our anger. So if you got an anger problem, well, that's okay. God made you as to have the emotion of anger. You're just letting it get out of control. Don't make excuses for your anger. Don't declare you've got a short fuse and think that that means that you're okay to walk through life like a volcano getting ready to blow. Don't make excuses for it. Submit it to Jesus. And when that temper starts to burn... Do something radical. Cry out to Jesus and pray for those that make you angry. Pray for those who make you angry. Is there a benefit? You better believe it. What's the benefit of submitting your anger problem to Christ? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirits is, better, is, is greater than he who takes a city. Short fuses lead to folly. Long fuses lead to wisdom. As it has in so many other situations, this is a, a very cut and dry situation. We're not talking about some sort of prosperity gospel. If you do this, God will turn around and bring you some level of prosperity. That's not what this is about. This is sound wisdom from the Word of God. If you want to be a better person, a wiser person, a person that other people enjoy being around, check your temper. If you want to be a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, surrender your temper to Jesus. Proverbs doesn't pull any punches when it comes to dealing with anger, but there is an emotion that may be even more destruct destructive. 
Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4 says this, Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? If you think about it, anger at its best is reacting to something that is wrong. I'll give you examples. Abortion makes me angry. That is a blight against the human race, and it makes me angry that we continue to fight this battle and we, we can't stand up for this and win this battle. That angers me. I believe it angers the heart of God, too. But that angers me. That is anger reacting to something that is wrong. But jealousy is reacting to something that is right. Jealousy is a toxin in our lives. It creeps in all kinds of places, and it can be very subtle. Anger isn't very subtle. A volcano going off is not a subtle experience. Anger hits us like a ton of bricks. Nobody is ever caught off guard by anger. But jealousy can creep into all kinds of our relationships. If you're going through a challenging time with your children and your friend starts bragging about their kid's accomplishment on social media, jealousy sneaks in. Your neighbor parks a brand new truck in his driveway while you're under the hood working on yours, trying to squeeze as many miles out of it as you can. Man, jealousy can start to creep in there. Your coworker got a promotion that you were actually more qualified for. Jealousy slides right in there, even pastors. The church across town experiences growth while your church is doing all it can to keep the doors open. Jealousy, it happens. And if you don't get jealousy under control, it keeps coming after us. It keeps nagging us. It keeps turning our head to look at other things and poisoning our souls. Proverbs says this, who can stand? And the answer is rhetorical. The answer to this question is what? Nobody. Anger's bad. Anger's overwhelming. But who can stand with jealousy? Nobody. And jealousy has a very close cousin in the Bible known as envy. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. In his book about the seven deadly sins, Joseph Epstein said this. He said, the only one that's not fun is envy. That's an interesting thought. Envy, it says, makes the bones rot. That doesn't sound fun to me. Consider how you respond to those you envy. When someone you envy experiences success, what do you do? You resent them. When they experience failure, what do you do? <laughs> Serves them right. You delight in it. There's nothing of Christ in that kind of mindset. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this. It's very clear. Love does not Envy. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 are also clear. Jealousy and envy have no place in the Christian's heart because these emotions are the works of the flesh. And when we see them creeping into our souls, we've got to get them out. Because the fact of the matter is, is it will make our bones rot. Now, Proverbs is not just a list of prohibitions against those negative emotions that we've talked about. But it also encourages positive emotions. Listen to these encouragements. Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Well, I want to be part of that. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is, is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 15, 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. 
You see, Proverbs understand that it's good for the human heart to taste those emotions of cheerfulness and her friends' happiness and, and joy. But pay attention to this very important piece of information. Enduring happiness is not found in our external circumstances. Notice the key word in all those verses that I just read. Cheerful heart, joyful heart, rejoices the heart. All of this points to our internal situation. All of these things point to what's brewing on the inside. And we need to keep coming back to this over and over and over again because the last year and a half, it's been a real test of our joy and cheer as the body of Christ. Doing internet church, couch church, man, that's a joy killer, isn't it? Sitting at home, watching it on a phone or an iPad or a, or a television, that's a joy killer. Having to stay away from your church family was a terrible situation that we were put into. It's awful. Standing here and preaching to an empty room was awful. It was awful. It was hard to walk away with, with, with happiness in your heart. Our worship team having to sit up here and play to an empty room, it's hard to leave with happiness in your heart. But enduring happiness is not tied to our circumstances. Enduring happiness is not tied to the reality in the room. Enduring happiness is tied to what's on the inside. And it's not our circumstances that determine our joy. It's Jesus. Because envy makes the bones rot. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. But what does Proverbs say? The good news refreshes the bones. I said earlier, anger is contagious because it leads to strife. But listen to how joy works. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Anger is contagious. It just so happens that joy is contagious. And joy is spread, spread like a virus through the hope of the righteous. So look around. If you want to talk about a pandemic, then I hope that we're being a super spreader this morning. Not for COVID-19, but I hope that the church is being a super spreader for joy in the midst of a circumstance that's not altogether happy or joyful. Because the hope of the righteous does what? It brings joy. Not just for me, not just for you, but it brings joy to a world that doesn't have much. And it says it's the hope of the righteous. Well, this isn't about our righteousness because the Bible says I don't have any. My best effort at righteousness is a failed, failed attempt. Instead, this is about Jesus' righteousness. And so what's supposed to happen, this is, how, how we're, this is how we understand this, that if you're in Christ, your unrighteousness has been replaced by Jesus' righteousness. All that happened on the cross. Jesus died in your place for your sins. God exchanged his perfection for your imperfection, and he declared you to be righteous if you're his follower. And so you have the righteousness of Jesus granted to you. 
Which means that when you stand, you stand as a child of the king who stands in the righteousness of Jesus. And the Bible says that it is that righteousness that ought to bring joy to a world that doesn't have joy. So let us be a super spreader today for the joy of the Lord. This is supposedly a room full of people who've been bought by Jesus' blood. That's how we're described It's a group of people who've been declared righteous by Christ's finished work on the cross. Which means that if you were to describe this group of people on paper, one of the endearing characteristics and qualities of this gathering ought to be a gathering that's known by joy. And everybody around ought to know about it. What would happen six months ago if somebody had come into this room on a crowded Sunday morning with a fever and a cough and began to cough and spread a virus? Man, everybody would have known about it, wouldn't they? A year ago, there would be a news truck in the parking lot. How careless were you to bring all those people in the room and you've infected so many and somebody's going to die because of what you've done? Man, the news would be all over it. I didn't want to be the guy on the news. The joy of the Lord ought to be known everywhere we go because of who we are and whose we are. If you find this morning that your circumstances have darkened your heart and brought you down, then I would challenge you to stop, like the Apostle Peter, looking at the waves crashing all around you and keep your eyes on Jesus because there's no greater witness to a lost and dying world than a joyful Christian in miserable circumstances. You know, one of the most unpleasant emotions that can cripple us is fear. We've all experienced it. And we've experienced it on the, on the, on the, on the easy end, like when you're startled, right? You know, when uh, I'll mess with my son, I can, you know, he'll run to our garage, and, then, uh, you know, you go through the door of the garage and up the steps into the, into the, the house. And, and I'll, when I back in the, the truck in the garage, I'll be taking my shoes off and things, and I'll hear him coming down the steps like an like a elephant just <laughs> rumbling down the steps. And... And invariably, every time, I mean, every time I do this, you would think he'd have figured it out by now. As soon as he hits the bottom of the steps and he grabs the door handle and he opens the door, I am there and I go, Wah! Every single time. And every single time he replies in just the same way. Oh! Complete startle. It's fun. We laugh. You got me again, right? Uh, every time every time. Sneak down the steps and maybe you can get me or, you know, we'll figure it out. He's, we're, gonna, we're working on it. Every single time. Every single time. That's fear, but it's, it's, it's just being startled, right? Some of us have crippling fear. Crippling fear. But it's a common experience over and over again. I suspect the young man that's in the bush in Africa who's going on his first hunting trip hears the branches crack in a distance and his heart starts to race because he's afraid of what might, might, might be in the bush there waiting for him. 
Over and over again, fear shows up in the book of Proverbs. But its most common appearance in the book of Proverbs is only an affirmation of something that we've been saying for this entire series. Listen to this. There is one fear that overcomes all other fears, and it is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Proverbs 1, 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. We can't count the things in this life that cause us fear. Some of us have had crippling fear over the last year about COVID-19. Some of us have other fears about diseases and things. Some of us have a fear of poverty. Some of us have a fear of man. Some of us have a fear of failure, failed careers, failed marriages. And it's not to minimize the very real threats that we experience on a day-to-day basis. But the Bible's very clear. If we fear God, we don't have to dread disaster. Whenever we find ourselves being afraid, we need to pause and ask ourselves where our trust is truly found. It doesn't mean that fear should not be in our lives. I think God has given us a fear as a safety mechanism, honestly, so that we know when we're in danger. We know when we should be mindful of our circumstances. But fear, that crippling fear, is overcome by faith in Jesus. Fear of man is overcome by the fear of the Lord. It's been said that some version of the phrase, do not fear, appears 365 times in the Bible. I've not found any Greek or Hebrew texts that affirm that truth, and I've not taken the time to actually go through and count all the times that it has been written. And even though once is enough is sufficient when it comes to the Lord's instruction, the fact of the matter is this. God doesn't want us to fear anything or anyone but him. And the fact that do not fear is, in fact, the most repeated phrase in the Bible. God, in so many different voices, in so many different ways, looks into our lives and he says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. The only thing that we're to fear is God. But what's incredible is that it is the fear of God that actually leads us into a deep, abiding, and intimate relationship with our Creator. And it is that fear that leads us into the presence of divine wisdom, guards our heart against folly, and grants us and blesses us with all of its benefits. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to our emotional condition. I thank you, God, for the wisdom of Proverbs that challenges us and calls us and and asks us to, to fear you in spite of all the other things in life that cause us fear. 
So Lord, may we be people who bring our anger into check. May we be people who are mindful of how jealousy creeps in. May we be a people who are known by the joy of the Lord and, and that the righteousness that we have through Jesus would bring hope to the world. And would we be a people who do not fear? So Lord, if there are those among us who struggle in these things, would you grant us the spirit of self-control today? that that fruit of the Spirit might bear itself in our lives. If we have jealousy in our hearts towards our neighbor or our loved ones or indeed even our enemy, would you grant us to be satisfied in the conditions and circumstances in which you've placed us? That we would be content to walk in our lane, to be obedient to you. And Lord, would you give us the courage to look at a lost and dying world and say, it is the joy of the Lord that is my strength. It is the hope that we have in Christ that moves my every step and gives me every breath and fills my heart with joy in spite of circumstances that may not be very joyful. God, thank you for giving us emotions but may we learn to bring those emotions under the lordship of Jesus. I pray today if there's any in this room who have not yet put their faith and trust in Christ and they look at their emotional outburst and their uncontrolled anger and their envy and all the other emotions in overdrive, those desires that lead and give birth to sin. And God, that if they are not in Christ, that today they would recognize that Jesus wants to save them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to reclaim them from their sin and give them new life and make them a new creature. Give them the courage today to, to make that decision to follow, follow Jesus. Lord, we love you and I thank you for this gathering here today. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.